Welcome to the Spiritual Warfare Network podcast, the training ground for warriors in Christ who are ready to walk in their God-given power and authority. Apostle DeCoy Green is about to equip you with kingdom strategies and teach you how to strategically pray and effectively engage the enemy in spiritual warfare. Now, let's get into today's teaching. I greet you in the precious name of Jesus. So I will open up in prayer and we will dive on into the word of God. Father God, we come now giving you glory, giving you honor, giving you praise, O oh God, for all that uh, you've done in the midst of our lives. We thank you for all that's going to be said and done. Thank you, O oh God, for this day that you have made, O oh God, and we magnify it and we lift your name now, O oh God. And we thank you, O oh God, for the word that the word should go forth uh, and with power, O oh God, as we know that it shall. We ask you to open our ears and our hearts that we may receive your word, O oh God. So we thank you, O oh God. We bless your name, O oh God. We glorify your name now, O oh God. Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way. You be glorified. You be magnified. These and all blessed we ask in your son Jesus' name I pray. And amen, amen, and amen. Do a quick recap of last week's Bible study. And again, we're still on spiritual warfare training. We've been at this for a little over three months now. Uh, so uh, last week was uh, spiritual warfare training part 12. And we talked about the blood power. We talked about the blood power, the power of the blood of Jesus. We broke broke down what the blood of Jesus actually is. And, and, and we talked about the old covenant and the new covenant and how uh, all, how it was all in blood. Uh, so um, that the blood of Jesus is, a, is powerful because it covers us in warfare. It cleanses us of sin and it presents us spotless before God. And that there's no stronger contract than that which is sealed with blood. And the blood of Jesus is the signature that we need to access all things of God. Uh, and we talked about how you can how you can use the blood of Jesus. And that, and that pretty much the enemy, when the enemy tries to attack, etc., uh, we talked about how the blood of Jesus is so powerful that it can raise the dead like the Holy Spirit, and it can also raise you out of tough situations. We talked about when the enemy sends toxins in your life, you need to call forth the blood of Jesus so that it can clean you inside and out. Uh, so we'll talk about the, the, the cleansing power of the blood inside and out as well. Um, and that demons are afraid of the blood of Jesus when it's on you because it's not just serving as a sin cleanser, but now it becomes a weapon. And that we talk about how the blood of Jesus, when we send the blood of Jesus, how the blood of Jesus speaks. It speaks the word of God. It speaks against the enemy. And at the same time, when we, when we send the blood of Jesus, we talk about sending it. You literally have to send the blood of Jesus. That the blood of Jesus is a living organism. You have to send it. You have to put it to work. And that when you send the blood of Jesus, it puts uh, it throws dirt on uh, the plans of the enemy. Uh, and we, we also talk about how there's life in the blood. And anything that's dead in your life that needs to be alive can come alive under the blood. So if you have a dead situation, something that's dead that needs to be resurrected, you can also send the blood of Jesus. So the importance of not neglecting the blood because the blood has so many functions and, and it truly does cause damage to Satan's kingdom. And also when we uh, release the blood of Jesus, it speaks against darkness. We, we talk about how the blood literally has a voice, that blood speaks. We talked about the example of uh, Cain and Abel, and Abel's blood spoke from the ground. And we talked about how our blood speaks, uh, that, when that, that, that even if we don't pray, and we're going to certain things, sometimes we don't have the strength to pray, where the case would be, but our blood speaks, and God hears our cry even through our blood because our blood literally speaks because there's life in the blood. So, again, it's, it's your job, it's my job to make sure that we put the blood of Jesus to work and also how the blood of Jesus can drown out the enemy's camp. When you send the blood, you can, you can send the blood to drown out, to flood the enemy's camp. 
Um, so that's just a few synopsis, a uh, little brief synopsis of last week's Bible study, The Blood Power. So if you missed it, go back and, and review those notes or listen to that playback because it's very important um, when we talk about warfare and, and knowing how to utilize these uh, specific weapons. All right, all right. So tonight we are going to continue on spiritual warfare training, part 13. And tonight's uh, topic is releasing the firepower of God, releasing the firepower of God. So now we're going to talk about this particular weapon known as fire. Get this revelation on it. It will truly help you in spiritual warfare. So understand that you have extreme firepower to use against the enemy. And that firepower comes with the fire of God. The fire of God is something that you must learn how to use and when to use. And understand, demons don't like when you send the fire of God against them because it's very destructive to them. The fire of God is very destructive. They understand how dangerous it is. So they hope you never know how effective it is to use. So when you send the fire of God in warfare, you literally send a weapon of mass destruction against the enemy. Hear me clearly, because we're going to talk about how heavy this firepower really is, and it's nothing to play with. So when you send the fire of God in warfare, you literally send a weapon of mass destruction against the enemy. This weapon is, is powerful, and we can access it even more as we build our relationship with God. And understand that the fire of God doesn't simply spoil the plans of the enemy. We talk about how you can spoil the, you can uh, send the blood to spoil the plans, and you can speak, uh, you know, send angels to spoil the plans of the enemy. But understand, the fire of God doesn't simply spoil the plans of the enemy, but the fire of God literally destroys the plan of the enemy. It is destructive in nature, and you must see it as such, that the fire of God is destructive in nature. As warriors for Christ, the fire of God is used for one reason and one reason only, and that's to destroy the works of darkness. It's called fire for a reason. And the fire of God destroys the works of the enemy, but the same fire can purify our lives. So understand, if something the enemy has done or is doing in your life that needs to be destroyed, you need to call down the fire of God. And the fire of God is also a changing agent in, in the lives of his people. Once the fire of God ignites on the inside of you or gets on you, the only thing you can do is change. So watch this now. So therefore, you, you intercessors, and we all are intercessors to some degree because when we, we're praying for someone else uh, who, who uh, may be going through a certain situation, etc., if there's someone that has some bad habits that need to change, you can send the fire of God to burn away what doesn't belong in their life. You can do that. You can send the fire of God to burn away what doesn't belong to someone else's life, what's been tormenting them. And the fire of God, again, as I said, is nothing to play with because it can actually take people out. God used his fire to entirely destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of all their sinful practices. God destroyed the entire earth with water the first time, and he said he would never destroy the earth with water again, according to Genesis 9 and 11. However, he did say how fire would be used in his judgment the next time, according to 2 Peter 3 and 10. You can read it for yourself. So understand, the fire of God is an effective prayer tool, for and, and it carries out multiple functions. It Watch this now. It, obliter it obliterates demonic activity and pushes people towards change. It brings about change. God's love is a burning fire, and his love changes hearts. God's love changes the minds of his people. And understand, the enemy is hoping that you never learn about how God fires works because it will be another weapon you can use in warfare. And understand this, to effectively use a spiritual weapon on a consistent basis, you must truly know its function and how to use it. 
So, it, so I say it, it does no good to say, okay, I got the name of Jesus. I got the authority of Jesus. I have the power of the Holy Spirit. I have the blood of Jesus. I have the, the, uh, the fire of God. It does no, makes no sense to say that you have it if you don't know how to effectively use it. Because just saying, I send the fire of God, and not understanding what that fire does, it's not as effective. It, that's just like those uh, uh, Jewish exorcists when, you know, they, they saw uh, Paul and all them cast out demons, and they said, and they tried to copy. Okay, and actually, so, well, we command you demons to come out in the name uh, of the Jesus that Paul and them preached. And what did demons say? They looked at him and said, okay, I'll... Uh, we know Paul, and uh, we know the other disciples, but who are you? And it says that they left naked and wounded. Those demons beat them up because they used the name of Jesus, but they didn't understand the power behind the name of Jesus. They just saw someone do it. So I think I can do that too. So that's why we're doing this series, so you can understand all of your tools, all of your weapons, how to effectively engage the enemy in warfare, because we're at warfare, we're in warfare, we were born into warfare, so whether you like it, whether you believe it or not, at the end of the day, we came out the womb in a fight, because the enemy tried to take you out while you were in your mother's womb. The enemy tried to take you out when you came out of your mother's womb. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. As we said weeks ago, look, the enemy put a hate out on your life. The enemy's put a hate out on my life. They hate us. But guess what? They know they can't stop us if we, if we fully, effectively walk in the power that God has given us. So, again, that's why we have to understand how to use the weapon, how these weapons function so you can know how to send the blood, when to send the blood, when to send the fire, when to call for angels. So these are all important to understand as we've been going through this series. So understand, this is why God is equipping us so that none of us will have any excuses. We have no excuse now. We will be a literal wrecking ball against the enemy. And when you begin to war in the spirit, you literally change the outcome of situations by overturning demonic decisions. I'm going to say that again. When you begin to war in the spirit, you literally change the outcome of situations by overturning demonic decisions. Demons made a decision that this is what they're going to do in your life, that this is what's going to happen in your life, and you overturn those decisions that they made as you war. And as we said, it's between praying. When you're praying, you're communicating with God. Uh, you call on the name of Jesus. You're, 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 you're making petitions known unto God. You're interceding for others. Warfare is when you literally engage in the enemy. You're, 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 coming, you're coming at them saying, I come up against you in the name of Jesus. I command you to take your hands off me, off my family, off my finances. That's when you're literally engaging them. That's the warfare piece of it. And like I said, you can go back and forth. You're warring against the enemy, then you go back praying to God. So you see, you can, they can, they're interchangeable. Okay? But understand, but the key is, as I said, when you effectively engage the enemy in spiritual warfare, you bring God's will to the earth. When you effectively engage in spiritual warfare, you bring God's will to the earth. Hmm. So therefore, again, it shows why spiritual warfare, for us to understand it, because again, the enemy is fighting against you. That alone puts you in spiritual warfare. It's up to you if you're going to fight back or not, if you're going to let them keep in your life, keep on messing with you, keep on stealing from you. Or are you going to fight back? Okay? So we're in a war regardless of if you want to participate or not. So therefore, it's time for you to start rolling over and understand that, look, i got some demons that are after me, that are trying to fight me, that's trying to take me out, that's trying to take my family out, that's trying to take my finances out, that's trying to take my health out, et cetera, et cetera. So i got to fight back. And I have the tools. Okay? So it's, 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 it's called warfare for a reason. It's a battle over territory. It's a power struggle. Demons have power, but it's limited power. We have access to all power and can use that power in spiritual warfare. So when you send the fire of God, 
it blows up demonic camps set up in and around your life. It forces them to move elsewhere or try to rebuild. Again, when you send fire of God, it blows up demonic camps set up in and around your life, and it forces them to move elsewhere or to try to rebuild. Because understand, they set up camps. You know, they, got, they set up camps in regions and all over the place. They set up different camps. It could be a camp set up on your job. It could be a camp set up outside your house and your community and your neighborhood. And you can send a five God to literally destroy that camp to where they would have to, again, either move somewhere else or try to rebuild. They'll build it back again. So you want to make them uncomfortable. You want to make those demons that are trying to attack you uncomfortable. You want demons to wish they had left you alone by the time you finished fighting them in spiritual warfare. And understand, you have a responsibility in spiritual warfare to also help your brothers and sisters in Christ. You should want to be so good. Watch this now. You should want to be so good in spiritual warfare that when demons plan a new attack, they'll remember what you did to them the last time. And if you see demons are attacking someone else in your territory, it's your responsibility as a ruler in God's government to reestablish order. God gave you an assignment. God gave you territory. As I say you have your, your, your job, your, your place of employment, you have your home, your community. There's a certain place that God gives you jurisdiction in, and he, and he can continue to increase and give you more territory. But if you see someone being attacked in your territory, it's your responsibility as a ruler because you're a ruler in God's government. Because he, he, he told us to be rulers here on earth, okay, do business until Christ returns. You have to establish order. And every person, understand it because I don't want to send any confusion, every person may not be your assignment, but your territory is your assignment. So we need all of our warriors in Christ and God's army to stay in position as well. So God is training you to effectively fight in spiritual warfare so you can also train others. So we must keep our weapons sharp as well. Many of our spiritual weapons serve defensive and offensive purposes, but we have to put the weapons to work for ourselves. I'm just building a little foundation before before we take off here. So understand, so understand that spiritual weapons will definitely work for you against the enemy in spiritual warfare, but again, you have to put it to work. This is a key takeaway, something you need to make sure you get in understanding spiritual warfare. You must employ the weapons in your life. If not, they're stagnant. The spiritual weapons God gives you to use in warfare are only as effective as your willingness to work them because the weapons alone are flawless. And, of course, we know Satan tries. I say week after week, everything God creates, Satan tries to duplicate. So demons can use their fire as well to try to consume us, to try to destroy us, to try to burn up things in our life. That's why we must use our weapons against them because our weapons are far more powerful. The fire of God will destroy your obstacles, and God will send an angel to rescue you out of the damage it will leave behind. Because, again, God's fire is destructive. And understand, God sent an angel to rescue Lot and his family before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The fire of God leaves debris behind, and it's a reminder to demons that God is working in your life and on your behalf. So when you think of the fire of God in warfare, your first thought should be destruction, because that's exactly what the fire of God will bring against the enemy. Okay, let's go to our first passage, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verses 28 through 29. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 through 29. We're talking about releasing the fire power of God. Again, Hebrews 12, verses 28 through 29. And it reads, 
Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. For our God is a consuming fire. Okay? So we see in this passage here, when we receive Jesus Christ in our lives, we also receive the kingdom of God. We become a part of God's kingdom. So when you receive Christ, you get responsibility in God's kingdom and power and authority to function in God's kingdom. Not only that, but God's kingdom is unshakable. As I said in, in verse 28, we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. So God's kingdom is unshakable. So if you're royalty in God's army, which you are, if you're royalty in God's kingdom, and God's kingdom is unshakable, that makes you unshakable because you're in Christ. That's why your foundation must be in Christ. Your feet is, is planted on the foundation of Christ. You're seated in Christ in heavenly places. So we also have grace from God, and we should serve him and honor him. You should serve God because he's on the winning side. God is a consuming fire, and there is no power that has ever or will ever be greater. And you have access to that. Verse 29, we see verse 29, which says, for our God is a consuming fire. Watch this now. So I'm going to build a foundation here. So it says that our God is a consuming fire. Verse 29 is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. That's where they got it from. Uh, he, was, he was quoting it. So verse 29, again, is taken from Deuteronomy 4, 24, which says God is consuming fire. Yes, God is love, and he is forgiving, but the same consuming fire. And the reason that, the reason that this was being stated is to show the difference with God in the Old Testament and God in the New Testament. The reminder is that, yes, God is love. Yes, God is forgiving. But the same consuming fire that was under the Old Covenant, he is the same consuming fire under the New Covenant. He still despises sin and evil. He's still a jealous God and that he does not want us to worship anyone or anything except him. So, again, God's fire destroys the works of sin. And you are to use it when the enemy won't get off your back. And this passage is a reminder that God does not play in the face of evil. He is to be taken seriously. It's your job. It's your job. Hear me clearly. Hear me clearly. It's your job to remind the enemy that God is a consuming fire, and you remind them by sending God's fire their way. So you have to put the fire of God to work. And now in understanding how it operates. Again, it's destructive. It's coming to destroy Okay, so again, God is the consuming fire. You remind them that God is the consuming fire by sending the fire his way. All right, now let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 22 through 23. Again, that's Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 22 through 23. Releasing the firepower of God. Deuteronomy 32, verses 22 through 23. Okay, Deuteronomy 32, beginning with verse number 22, and it reads, For a fire is kindled in my anger, and shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the found foundations of the mountains. I will heap disasters on them. I will spin my arrows on them. So watch this now. This passage speaks of the destruction that God would send to Israel 
because of their faithlessness, their continual sin, and their disobedience to God and worshiping idols. So because of this, God was going to send destruction to Judea. And this passage is very clear. God's fire is kindled in his anger. God's fire is kindled in his anger. And when you send the fire of God, you send God's anger against the enemy because God detests evil. Again, when you send the fire of God, you send God's anger against the enemy because God detests evil. So see, it's not to say, I'm angry with the devil. I'm mad at the devil. Okay, that is not going to do nothing. You, you, you being mad in your flesh is not going to do nothing. Because of the evil with any has done in your life, you send God's anger. And God's anger will serve notice and destroy and blow up that tent that's been set up around your life. So you send God's anger against the enemy because God detests evil. So not only is God, not only is it God's anger, but it's also God's judgment. God's fire is often connected with judgment. When you release God's fire from heaven against the enemy, it sends God's judgment against them for what they've done to you and what they've done to try to stop the moving forth of God's kingdom on earth. Because again, what's our job? Our job on earth is to bring God's kingdom on earth. What is the prayer? Uh, the model prayer that Jesus taught. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Talk about God's kingdom. Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's your job to bring on earth what's in heaven. And if it's your job to bring on earth what's in heaven, and the enemy is trying to stop you from bringing what's uh, on earth what's in heaven, bring it down from heaven, then now that's going to ignite and kindle God's anger. It's going to kindle the fire of his anger. And now you can send it. Oh, Father, I don't like this. Hey, you see what the enemy's doing? And I'm sending the fire against the enemy because it also brings judgment. So you see how destructive God's fire is from this passage. And watch this now. We, we, we'll get deeper with this thing. Watch this now. He said that his fire, I just get excited about this thing right here. He said that his fire would burn to the lowest hell. Then he said, and I want to know. He said it will consume the earth increase, which means its crops, and the foundations of the mountains. So God's fire would not only destroy the vegetation in the land, but it would also go beyond that and destroy the root and the foundations, leaving no place for it to grow back. Leaving no place for it to grow back. So you see how powerful the fire is. God's fire destroys a demonic operation set up in your life to the point that they will have to start all over from scratch. When you send God's fire, use it in the right way. You send God's fire, it will destroy a demonic operation that was set up in your life to the point they will have to start over from scratch. Like I said earlier, you destroy their camp. It literally destroys their camp that's set up in your life, and they have to start from scratch or go, like I said, and rebuild. So when you send the fire of God, it doesn't just destroy it doesn't just destroy the surface of a thing, but it destroys the root of what the enemy sent in your life. And some of you have been dealing with symptoms, praying against symptoms. When you send the fire of God, it does not deal with the symptom. It goes to the root. It goes to the root. The fire of God, again, does not deal with symptoms. It goes straight to the root, and it destroys it. So you must understand the magnitude of sending the fire of God. It's no joke. When you call down the fire of God to earth, it brings an end to a thing 
period. Some of you have been dealing with some things, some cycles, some destructive cycles that the enemy kept using because they kept working, they kept doing it and trying you in the same area and doing it over and over again. Now it's time for you to send the fire of God because, again, the fire of God brings an end to a thing, period. There are some cycles that need to be broken, some shackles that need to be broken, and it's been going on and on and on in your life. It could have been down in your bloodline. It could have been something that didn't even have nothing to do with you directly, but those demons feel like they can ride on the waves of your life because of what some of your ancestors did that you didn't even know that, that they did because of some blood covenants that were made with demons a long time ago. You can destroy that. Send the fire of God. And they'll have to start over. They'll have to start from scratch. They'll have to go back and retreat because the fire of God destroys. It ain't coming to play. It ain't coming to play cute. It ain't coming to say, back up, devil. Back away. No, it's saying, you gone. I'm, I'm destroying that camp. It puts an end to a thing, period. And the enemy is afraid of the fire of God because it not only destroys their work, but it also brings judgment with it. So that's a double problem. The fire of God is a double problem. It burns going in, and it burns coming out. And when you ask God, watch this now, when you ask God to send the fire of God from heaven, that fire will not stop until it destroys the target. Again, when you sin, you ask God to send the fire of God from heaven, the fire will not stop until it destroys the target. Why do you say? Our God is a consuming fire. His, and when his anger is kindled and is released, it consumed. It destroyed all of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was so powerful that when Lot's wife looked back, she turned into a pillar of salt. You don't play with the fire. And the enemy knows. The enemy is upset now that you even understand more of how the fire operates. Because it's a powerful weapon. Okay? So again, so you see in this passage that after God sent the fire, he also said he would send the arrows. So the fire of God is truly a lethal missile. So calling for the fire of God to be sent from heaven is a loud and clear response to the enemy of I'm going to tell my daddy on you. I'm going to say that again. Calling for the fire of God to be sent from heaven is a loud and clear response to the enemy of I'm going to tell my daddy on you because when he shows up with that fire, it destroys. It don't, rough the, it don't rough the enemy up. It don't jack him up a little bit. It destroys. It is destructive. But like I said, when you think about the fire of God, your first thought should be destruction. Because that's what it's going to bring to the works of the enemy, the works of darkness. So therefore, that's why it's understanding all how it works. Understand that. They've been, been plotting against you, been attacking you, attacking you, attacking you, attacking you. Send that fire. And we said last week, every time you, every day you wake up, the blood of Jesus is alive. So we, once we accept Christ, we automatically get the blood. That aspect of the blood only uh, cleanses us from sin. So when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus. But that's it. That's all it does until we put it to work. And when we put it to work, now it turns into a weapon where you can plead the blood of Jesus. You can apply the blood of Jesus. And as, as you're doing, that's why I say every day you have to wait and say, Lord, cover me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Because that's it. it. It also goes inside and, and it cleanses out uh, uh, old residue or seeds that the enemy have. You, and you can flood out the enemy's camp. You can flood it out. And cause them to have to go back and regroup. But the fire destroys, wipes it out. Okay? So let's go to 2 Kings 1, verses 9 to 14. 2 Kings 1, verses 9 to 14. 2 Kings 1, verses 9 through 14. All right, and it reads, 
Then the king sent to him a captain. Now, this is the part. This is going to get into the funnest part here. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to him, and there he was, sitting on the top of a hill. And he spoke to him, man of God. The king, he said, come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Then he sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, man of God, thus has the king said, come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to them, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, he sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s with their 50s, but let my life now be precious in your sight. So here we see in this passage, we find Prophet Elijah. He sent fire down from heaven. King Ahaziah of Israel, who was the son, watch this now, he was the son of the deceased Ahab as well as Jezebel, who was still, Jezebel was still alive, but his father Ahab was already deceased. And so what happened, King Ahaziah, again, this was the, the son of Ahab and Jezebel, King Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice or window of his upper room, and he was injured. So he became injured because he fell through this window or whatever. And so King Ahaziah, had done evil in the sight of God, just as his mom and his dad did. So we see here generational, generational curse in the bloodline. His dad did evil, his mama did evil, now she was doing evil. And so he also, uh, he also worshipped uh, a false god. He also worshipped a false god. Okay? And so again, he done evil in, God, in God's sight. And, and watch this now. So he worshipped the false god of Baal. And of course, that provoked God's anger. It provoked God's anger. Okay? So watch this now. So King Isaiah sent messengers to go to Ekron. So we can follow, so follow me here because I'm, I'm, I'm going to build some pieces here that's going to all go together if you follow me here. So King Isaiah sent messengers to go to Ekron to inquire of the false god Baal Zebub to see if he would recover from his injury. So we see demonic activity here was being summoned because King Ahaziah sent his men to go to this temple to inquire to this false god, Baal's above, to see if he was going to recover from his injury. So again, he was summoning demonic activity. Baal's above was known to them as the god of the flies or the lord of the flies. So this false god, which is a demon, this false god was supposedly able to deliver them from the plague of flies that often uh, infested the area. And of course, this idol worship, I mean, this idol worship angered God. And the temple where they worshiped this demon was in Ekron. So Ekron was a city near the sea where many flies would swarm around because of the atmosphere. So then God sent an angel to inform prophet Elijah of what the king was doing. And God sent Elijah to stop the king's messengers along the way, on the way to this uh, demonic temple. And he told, and God gave the word to Elijah and said, tell these, these men on the way, tell them that Ahaziah is going to die. So when Ahaziah found out who told them, because they turned back around and said, you know, we, 
man came across, you know, and, and, and you know, stopped us on the way and told us that, you know, you're going to die. So he found, you know, he asked, he asked some questions. He's like, wait a minute. Was it Elijah? When he described it, so they said, yeah, it was, you know, the prophet Elijah. And so when he found this out, he became angry. The king became angry, and he sent a captain of 50. He sent a captain of 50 men to arrest him because he was angry with Elijah for sending that word. So understand when he said the captain of 50, uh, the armies of Israel were divided into thousands, hundreds, and fifties. So they were divided into thousands, groups of thousands, groups of hundreds, and groups of fifties, and they were led by one captain. So we see this demonic influence right here. We see a demonic influence that was trying to seize and destroy the child of God. Okay? So we see a pattern here. First we see, okay, again, King Ahaziah was the son of Ahab, who was now dead, but his mother Jezebel was still alive. And, of course, we know Jezebel already tried to kill Elijah, etc. cetera. Uh, so we see this, this cycle of, of the enemy, again, was trying to take Elijah out. It was a demonic ploy, a demonic plot. And so you see it didn't work with, with Jezebel, okay, when they tried to kill him. So then now, again, when we talk about demonic plots and patterns, that the enemy will keep trying something over and over and over again until they realize that it doesn't work consistently. This was a pattern. Okay, see, so they, they were still trying to kill Elijah. Just like the enemy is trying to take us out, trying to kill us, trying to stop us from doing the will of God, this is the pattern that we see. So now Elijah was dealing with this demonic force that was trying to stop him from doing God's will. So we see here now, the king sent all these, these men to capture one man. They sent 50, really 51, because it was 50 plus the one, to try to capture, the first time to try to capture Elijah. So they sent all these people for one man. So it shows how threatened he was by Elijah, not just the king, because we know the king was under demonic influence. So we see how threatened uh, the demons were of this one man, Elijah. And this is why we see here, again, 50. And then they sent another 50. So it was 100. Then they sent another 50. Okay, so, so really it was 150, really 153 total people that were sent to try to capture this one man. So I'm going to make a point here. And this is why a person or a place, uh, when, it is, when they're delivered from demons, they can have hundreds or thousands of demons at once. The enemy is desperate in their attempts to destroy you, so they will send many demons at once. But God gives you the power to defeat them. So watch this now. So Satan may send many demons to attack you, but God will send many angels to rescue you. But again, Still your job to put the angels to flight. So we see the first group of 50 reached Elijah, and they commanded him to come down at the king's request. These men were under demonic influence and probably, probably demonic possession. So notice that they recognized who Elijah was, and they acknowledged him as a man of God. Although they were mocking him, they still acknowledged who he was. So understand, demons are fully aware they are fully aware of who you are in God. Watch this now. Demons are fully aware of who you are in God, but they aren't afraid of who you are in the flesh. They are terrified of who you are in God. That's why it, 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 it pays to continue to build relationship with God. So Elijah said that if he was a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume the captain and his 50 men, and it happened. Elijah was able to call fire down from heaven. The fire was God's anger that came with it. And we know that God was angry with the people for worshiping a false god. 
We know that King Ahaziah and his people were perpetually evil. So Elijah served notice on the demonic principality in his territory. So understand, when demons try to mess things up in your life, you need to call down the fire of God to wipe them out. So here again, we see a demonic pattern. Follow me here. We see a demonic pattern from this passage. We see a demonic pattern. The enemy won't always learn their lesson the first time. The enemy won't always learn their lesson the first time. They try to keep attacking in the same area and in the same way until they realize that it won't work. So King Ahaziah sent another group of 50 soldiers along with their captain with the same request and the same mockery. And Elijah responded in the same way and called down the fire of God from heaven. Elijah knew the enemy was not only blatantly insulting him, but they were insulting God who sent Elijah. So Elijah knew it was demonic. Again, Elijah knew it was demonic. And he knew that it did not please God. And when you know God is not pleased with a thing, you can easily send down the fire of God to destroy its works. So when you call down the fire of God from heaven, you're literally manifesting the anger of God on earth against the enemy. Again, when you call down the fire of God from heaven, you're literally manifesting the anger of God on earth against the enemy. So now, King Ahaziah sent a third group of 50. So watch this now. A third group of 50 and their captain. By this time, Elijah had already caused so much damage to the demonic foundation in the region that the demons were now retreating and begging him to stop. The third group came and the captain begged Elijah. He begged Elijah not to send fire down. And again, keep in mind that this physical battle was a direct correlation to a spiritual battle. So demons were literally wounded and their camp was destroyed. So you see the begging here. This third captain was really showing how the demons were now begging for prophet Elijah to stop causing damage to their camp. And this is similar to how when Jesus cast out the legion, remember when Jesus cast out in Mark 5 and 12, when Jesus cast out the legion, and we know that legion, uh, legion of demons is 6,000 or more, so he cast out 6,000 or more demons out of one man, and those demons begged Jesus not to cast him out of the country and uh, to allow him to go into the herd of swine. Same concept because Jesus, was, Jesus was, was bringing authority. He was bringing order into a region. And so Elijah was bringing order into this region to now you notice that these demons were begging. Now, granted, they were using people, but again, it was indicative of something that was going on in the spirit realm. And they were begging Elijah not to send fire again because they could not take another hit. Same concept. So we see here, and as remember how I mentioned earlier that demons are so desperate, they were sent, like they sent 50 men, 100 men, 150 men plus their captains, to get one man. And so I said in a region or in a place, of, you know, someone's delivered, it can be multiple demons in one. And we see here, as I mentioned in Mark 5 and 12, how Jesus cast out over 6,000 demons out of one man because they come in packs. They try to completely take over a person's life. But we see again the power of God, the power of the fire. And Elijah did that to the point they said, please, please spare our lives. Please let us, you know, don't hurt us. So when you constantly wound demons in battle, although they may be commanded by their boss to try again, they'll beg you not to torment them. Because although King Ahaziah sent the next group, the third group, to go to Elijah, their boss commanded them to go. But when they got there, they pleaded not to torment them. Just as, just as uh, the demons did with Jesus when he cast out 
So it's the inside of that man. They beg Jesus, please don't torment us. Please don't torment us. Let us go into this herd of swine and don't let us leave the country. Same concept here. Now they will come to Elijah, please don't torment us. Please have mercy on us. Spare our lives. So even though their boss told them to go back, even from a demon's perspective, their boss, you know, they have high-ranking demons. A high-ranking demon may tell a low-ranking demon to go back and try to attack you, but they know what you, the damage you've caused so far, so they literally beg you not to torment. So Elijah had already sent God's fire of anger from heaven twice, and that was too many times for the demons in that area, and they didn't want any more. They didn't no more. They didn't want no more because there was no trace of what came before them. There was no trace. It was, it was wiped out. They were wiped out. The fire of God destroyed 102 evil men, leaving no trace behind. As I said, the fire of God is destructive by nature. So the demons influencing those 102 men had no place to go and were forced to try to find another home. So the same ability that Elijah had to call down the fire of God from heaven is the same ability that you have. James 5 and 17 reminds us that Elijah was a human being just like you and me. And he was able to pray that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on earth for three and a half years because of Elijah's prayers. According to James 5 and 17, he lets us know that. We have the saying he was a light man like us, a human like us. So this is the same Elijah right here who called this fire to come down from heaven. So you need to start using the fire of God and use it the right way. The fire of God is a destroyer of demonic works. Thank God for giving you a weapon of destruction to destroy what's trying to destroy you. All right? Let's go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verses 53 to 56. We're just connecting the dots here. Luke chapter 9, verses 53 to 56. Again, that's Luke chapter 9, verses 53 through 56. And it reads, But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James to John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So Raven, this is that piece I was talking about, about, uh, ignorance and, and walking in knowledge. So, so, so here, this, this was a lesson that God, Jesus was teaching to the disciples. So this is more proof. First of all, this is more proof that we have ability, that you and I have ability to call down fire from heaven to consume the enemy and all the works of, of, of darkness. This is more proof. James and John were upset. They were angry that the people in a particular Samaritan village did not receive Jesus, did not receive them in general. Okay. So they asked Jesus in verse number 54, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? They asked him this question. So we see here now, they asked Jesus if he wanted them to command fire to come down from heaven and consume the people like Elijah did. For starters, they did not pause for one moment to ask Jesus if, if they had the ability to do it. They didn't ask Jesus if they had the ability to do, to do it. They knew they had the ability to call down the fire of God from heaven, but they asked Jesus if he wanted them to make the call and send the fire down from heaven. Because Jesus was right there. 
But they said, Jesus, do you want us to go ahead and call for the fire? Jesus, you, you don't need to do it. You don't got to do it. We know we can do it. So do you want us to call down the fire or not? So understand, so first of all, you must know that you have the ability, you have the legal right to do all that God said you can do. It's just a matter of actually accepting it and doing it. You have a legal right as a king and priest in God's government to call down the fire of God from heaven to consume the works of the enemy. You have that right. For starters, you have that right. So this was a teaching moment here. While they were ready to send the anger and judgment of God against a people, similar to how Elijah did, they were actually going about it the wrong way and would not have gotten the results anyway. Jesus let them know that he did not come to destroy people, but he came to save people. In other words, he was saying that a seed was sown in the lives of these people, and it was still possible that they might be, become saved later. Not only that, but in Elijah's case, those people were trying to destroy him and the works of God. These particular Samaritans were not hospitable at the time because it appeared that Jesus was going to Jerusalem. So let's see the dispute here. The Jews and Samaritans debated over where the best place was to worship. The Jews thought it was at Jerusalem, and the Samaritans debated over where, over, over, uh, where was the best place to worship. They thought, because the Jews thought it was in Jerusalem, the, the Samaritans thought it was at Mount uh, Gerizim. So, so Jews thought it was Jerusalem. Samaritans said, no, we're supposed to worship at Mount uh, Gerizim, and that's what it's supposed to be. So since it appeared to them, so here's what they're looking at from their perspective. They were looking through a cultural lens. They were looking through a cultural lens. It was ignorance. So it appeared to them that Jesus was going to Jerusalem instead of worshiping there in Samaria at Mount Gerizim. So therefore, because they were looking through the cultural lens, they did not receive him. Perhaps they would have received him if he chose to worship there. So the problem was not the rejection of Jesus at that time, oh, but the Samaritans had not come to the truth. They still had a chance to come to the knowledge of the truth of God through Christ. They could still be evangelized. So taking them out by fire was not the right call. So then James and John's spirit was not right in them. Watch this now so far. I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you how quickly something can shift. I'm going to show you how quickly it can shift. So James and John's spirit was not right in them and wanting to do this because it was, it was not based on a true zeal for God and righteous indignation against the enemy, but it was more on their own self-righteous mindset. Follow me now. This was not about their zeal for God. This was their own self-righteous mindset. It was easy. I mean, it, it was as to say, it was as though they were saying, who do these Samaritans think they are not to receive us? Who do they think they are? We're better than them. They were looking down on them. So God rebuked them. They're like, we have more knowledge than you. We, I, I, you know, I, we, we, we know it all now. We got Jesus. We got, we know this is the Messiah. Y'all don't. So we're better than y'all. So God rebuked them. Jesus rebuked them because they were being susceptible to a religious spirit. They were being susceptible to the very thing that, that Jesus pulled them out of. They were now tempted to go back in. Because then now there were people that weren't quite receptive as some other people were. So now like, who are y'all not to accept us? Do y'all do y'all know who we are? So now they were going to that religious spirit, and I was clearly not from God. That's why Jesus rebuked them. He rebuked them. Do you not know of what spirit you are? What you operating in right now? So he rebuked that spirit. He wouldn't talk to them. He was talking to that spirit that was influencing their acts. 
He rebuked them in the name of Jesus. He rebuked them. Okay? And that's why the moment you see something pop up that, you know, your flesh trying to, trying to stop, you got to rebuke that thing. Because that's a seed that the enemy tried to sow. The enemy sowed that seed right then, and Jesus quickly uprooted it right then and there. He got it on the spot. So understand, that spirit was not from God. So thus, Jesus rebuked them. So we must be careful now. You and I must be careful. We have to be careful not to want to send God's judgment just because we're angry about something that offended our flesh. That offended our flesh. The fire of God is not to be used for selfish reasons. But it must be used for godly reasons, and that's to oppose evil works of the enemy. And at this point, the Samaritans were not really guilty of anything except ignorance and poor hospitality. At this point, they were guilty of ignorance and poor hospitality. So though it was definitely wrong, they didn't need God's wrath just yet. But they needed the love of God that could have been demonstrated through James and John had they not had a flesh moment. So as Jesus had already, watch this now, so Jesus had already told the disciples earlier in Luke 9 and 5 that if people don't receive you in their home, wipe the dust off your feet as a testimony against them, up against that house, and go to another home who will receive you. So that's just what they did here. So understand, the love of God is always sent first to give people a chance before the judgment of God comes. So you have to show God's love. We're not in a flesh war, but it's spiritual. It's your job to show God's love to people and send his wrath to demons. Again, it's your job to show God's love to people and send God's wrath to the demons. You send the fire of God to the demons. So God said that vengeance belongs to him. He'll handle those who mistreat you. But it's your job to use the weapons he gave you to handle the demons. All right, 2 Chronicles 7, verses 1 through 3. All right, we're going to have one more verse after this. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. All right, Second Chronicles 7, 1 through 3. And it says, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt, the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Solomon, understand, Solomon ruled as king after his father David died, and Solomon decided to build a temple for God. He dedicated the temple unto God. He made sacrifices unto God as an offering, and during this time we know, of course, that they had to use animals as sacrifices or offerings to God for sin, as we talked about last week about the atonement and the blood, etc. Uh, uh, and so as a sacrifice offering to God for sin, sacrifices of thanksgiving and sacrifices of devotion unto God, etc. So notice that the fire of God came down from heaven after Solomon prayed. So effective use of the fire of God to be used against the enemy is tied to your prayer life. You must pray to access holy fire. It must be used responsibly because how destructive it can be. So we see that uh, after the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering, the glory of the Lord entered the temple. So when the fire of God is said to consume something, the glory of God will often show up after it 
as he will be glorified in your life. It was so powerful that everyone stopped what they were doing. The priest could not even enter back into the temple because God's glory had filled it. God himself showed up. It was the manifested presence of God. And all the people could do was bow down and worship God. So we see how powerful the glory of God is. Flesh can do nothing in God's presence except get out of the way and let our spirit completely take over. And we worship God fully. It's not a flesh experience or a soul experience. It's a spirit experience. There are no words that can strive, that describe the glory of God in your life showing up in any place. It's not always in a physical church, but it can show up in your lives, in your home, in your car. God's glory will fill our temple first, our physical bodies. And then it will begin to fill in other arenas. So understand, we know that, of course, the fire of God, it no longer consumes uh, burnt offerings and, and animals and et cetera. But now the fire of God consumes you and me. Now the fire of God consumes you and me. And that's what will happen when we continue to walk in obedience. The fire will consume you and you will become a fully certified card-carrying fire starter for God. A fire starter because you are a fire starter. You can call that fire down. So the fire of God consumes you as a sacrifice unto him. So therefore we have to submit ourselves to God to do his will. There's also what we know as the Holy Ghost fire. The Holy Ghost fire is the fire that burns within us to carry out the will of God. So you must ask him to keep the fire burning in you. That's the fire of the Holy Spirit. Lord, keep the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in me. Holy Spirit, keep burning in me. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who gives gifts. Scripture says that he gives gifts as he will. This is the Holy Spirit who gives us gifts. This is why Scripture says not to quench the Holy Spirit. According to 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19, not to quench the Holy Spirit. This means to not to stifle, not to extinguish or suppress. The Holy Spirit bears witness of Christ. So when the Father of God is sent from heaven, there's a guarantee that nothing or no one will be in the state that they were in before the fire fell. That's a guarantee. When the fire of God is sent from heaven, there's a guarantee that nothing or no one will be in the state it was in before the fire fell. You can take that to the bank. All right, let's go to our last passage, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. Again, that's 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. Okay, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, we're going to be on verse 4, and it reads, So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. It's a righteous thing. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So we see here in verse 6 that it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. It's a righteous thing unto God. So Apostle Paul was commending those uh, who, who walked in the faith in the midst of their persecution and their tribulation. They were suffering because of their stand for the kingdom of God. They were under great attack. The enemy was attacking them for that. But Paul assured them 
that God will repay those who persecuted them. He also said how God will give the faithful rest. He was talking about after death. However, it also applies to while on earth. They saw many victories on earth through the many lives that were saved under their ministry and, and the, all the things that they saw God doing, the miracles, signs, and wonders. So understand that God will vindicate you. Sometimes God sends his fire without anyone calling for it. And if that happens, it's so much worse because he sends it only after many warnings. If God sends the fire without us calling for it, that means he doesn't send many warning after warning after warning after warning, just like he did in Judea, warning after warning after, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, warning after warning after warning after warning. He says, okay, enough, so now I'm going to send the fire myself. You don't even have to call for it. So this passage outlines when God will take it upon himself to bring the vengeance with, without us calling for the fire. So we see reference to the flaming fire in verse number eight. It's a flaming fire of vengeance. The fire of God brings vengeance to disobedience and all those working for Satan's kingdom. They're not only in trouble now, but they will be in trouble eternally. The fire of God brings destruction to the enemy now, and it's the same fire that will entirely destroy Satan and all his kingdom in the end. The same fire that you can call down. So evil will be punished in the final judgment forever. There's no greater punishment than being banished from the presence of the Lord forever. And demons already earned that. So their final judgment will come. But in the meantime, you must continue on with the fight and use your spiritual weapons for the war that's being waged against us, God's children, God's warriors, God's kings and priests on this earth in his government. Understand you are an agent of fire. Because you have access to call down the fire of God from heaven at any given time to defeat the enemy. Again, I'm going to say it again. You are an agent of fire because you have access to call down the fire of God from heaven at any given time to defeat the enemy. So thank God for this fire that you have access to. Now you understand how this fire operates. So you're not just willing to talk about the fire. Now you know what the fire does, what the fire's function is. So now you need to start using against the enemy in your life, in your region, in your home, in your community, et cetera, et cetera, because it will destroy those demonic camps. It will blow it up, and, and it, it will cause carnage, leave carnage behind. It will cause pure destruction. But we're not using it against people because it's not a flesh thing. It's a spiritual thing. Now, like I said, in, in the Elijah situation, that was perpetual evil, and those, and those, all those groups of people, those armies, like I said, King uh, Ahaziah was Jezebel and Ahab's son. So that was continual sin. Okay, that now is God's judgment against those people who constantly worship those idols. So that they got many warrants, and so that's why, and they represented a larger principality. Okay, and Elijah uh, pretty much took them out by the power of God, by the fire of God. Okay, so again, think about all the things you have. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we say all the time, the power is the ability to do it. Authority is the right to do it. Okay, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the authority of Jesus Christ. And as I say, the authority is literally as, as though you're, you're as though you're coming in His name. Where you, it's like you're the power. You have the power of attorney, as though you can sign Jesus' name on the dotted lines, as though you are Him, because He. That's what authority is. He gives you the power of attorney to come in His name. He gives you the power of attorney to do works in His name. He gives you the power of attorney to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. You have to have that power of attorney, the authority of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that heals the sick, raises the dead, etc. The authority of Jesus gives you the right to do it. Okay? The authority of Jesus gives you the legal access to do war in the spirit realm. 
okay? The authority of Jesus gives you legal access to rule on earth for God, okay? And, of course, you know, you have angels that you can send to war against uh, demonic uh, uh, spirits in your region, et cetera, or just trying to attack your life. You can send those angels, those warring angels, uh, to fight against, you know, demons that are trying to stop you from doing God's will in your region. Uh, and, of course, you also have angels that will minister unto you. And, of course, now we talk about the blood of Jesus that you need to cleanse you. You need the blood of Jesus that you need to send forth to flood out the enemy's camp, to throw dirt on the enemy's plan. You need the blood of Jesus that you send out because the blood of Jesus speaks. It will speak against the enemy as you send it, but you have to send it because the blood is alive. And now we talk about the fire of God. It's literally destructive. It destroys demonic camps. It, it, it implodes. It blows it up, causing them to have to rebuild, causing them to have to move, etc. Um, so, again, knowing when to use it. So now we have all these tools and there's no excuse not to operate in it now that we know. So therefore, I will close us out in prayer to be dismissed. Father God, we come now to the end of yet another Bible study, O oh God. We thank you, O oh God, for teaching us about yet another weapon, O oh God, that you've given us to use in spiritual warfare, O oh God, for the enemy. We know the enemy is upset, is afraid of our weapons, O oh God, and we thank you for continuing to uh, take us deeper in you, O oh God, continue to reveal to these your people, O oh God, what you've called them to do, what you have them to do in this season and assignments that you've given unto them, O oh God. We thank you, O oh God, dear God, for more clarity that shall come in your lives, O oh God, as they continue to move forward bold in the things of you, O oh God, as they continue to be a good steward over the territory and the things that you've entrusted them unto them, O oh God. I thank you for their lives, O oh God. I thank you for their callings. I thank you for their gifts, O oh God. I declare right now that their gifts are being stirred up on the inside of them now. In the mighty name of Jesus, that revelation shall flow. Holy Spirit, give them more revelation. I declare that revelation shall flow to them at a high level, at a rapid pace now. In the mighty name of Jesus, O oh God, I declare that the spirit of peace shall rest upon our lives in the mighty name of Jesus, O oh God. In any attack of the enemy, O oh God, we declare your word, and no weapon formed against them shall be able to prosper, O oh God. And I stand in the fire of God right now against every demonic camp that has been set up in their lives to destroy every demonic camp and to destroy every work of darkness in their lives. I stand in the fire of God to destroy every uh, demonic uh, uh, force that has been hunting their bloodline. I send it now in the mighty name of Jesus. I send the blood of Jesus to drown out and to cleanse out any residue that has been left behind in their lives from something from their past, from something from their ancestors. I send the blood of Jesus now to cleanse them in the mighty name of Jesus and to speak against the enemy, to declare your righteousness, to declare your word against the enemy, oh God. So we thank you now, oh God. And I declare right now, I dispatch angels, oh God, to surround their homes, oh God, to encamp all about them, oh God, to be a fire of protection all around their homes, around their vehicles, oh God, around their jobs, oh God, where they go there, God, that you will be protecting them, oh God, in the mighty name of Jesus, oh God, and even your ministers, oh God, you will send your angels to minister unto them, oh God, minister unto their hearts, oh God, to strengthen them, to encourage them, to push them forward, oh God, for those who are tempted to give up, those who are frustrated, oh God, I declare you shall send your angels, oh God, now to minister unto them and, dis and encourage them, oh God, so we thank you. We bless your name now. We glorify your name now, O oh God. Be it all our best. We ask in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. And remember that you are the breath of God, and God never wastes a breath. This is Apostle Green signing out. God bless you, and a smile upon you. Good night. Warriors, thank you for tuning in to the Spiritual Warfare Network podcast and applying today's teaching. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow Apostle Green on social media.